You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 110. Today's show is the second part of the interview with Broadway producer Heather Shields about how to invest in a Broadway show. We discuss how to access opportunities to invest, how Broadway investors must be accredited investors, measuring revenue by attendance versus gross potential, a minimum investing unit for a Broadway show is usually twenty-five dollars to $50,000. The documents investors sign, including an operating agreement, a subscription agreement, and tax documents. And Heather explains why Broadway investors almost always need to file an extension on their taxes. Today's bonus episode is Nicole and I talking about how we got a co-producing credit on Broadway's A Christmas Carol. That is a show that Heather produced. You can access that at patreon.com slash artistic finance. This interview is on YouTube. If you watch it there, please click subscribe to be reminded about our new episodes as they are released. And without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Okay, so this actually finally leads us into the portion where I'm going to ask, how do we invest in a Broadway show? And my first question was going to be, why do investors invest in Broadway, knowing all the risks? And I think you just made a good case for it. But let me ask about Bruce specifically, because it's not heading to Broadway yet. Why did your investors invest in Bruce? I bet every single person who invested in um, our pre-Broadway debut uh, out in Seattle would have a different reason. It's about the making of Jaws. So it is not Jaws the musical. It is about how Jaws was made um, from Hollywood out to Martha's Vineyard. Um, Our protagonist is Steven Spielberg. If you are one of those folks that doesn't know about how Jaws was made, and you may may very well be, um, it was a total disaster. Steven Spielberg was 26 years old when he went out to Martha's Vineyard to make it. Everything that could go wrong did. Our writers, Richard Oberacher and Rob Taylor, really saw what they identified as like the hero's arc of a musical when they read this book called The Jaws Log by Carl Gottlieb, who was the screenwriter of Jaws. Um, you know, they saw the hero's journey. It, it had all these like musical beats to that story and they made it into a musical. And so our investors, yeah, some of them just love Jaws. They remember going to see it in theaters. They remember being with their parents um, and going to see it with theaters or um, they remember showing it to their kids for the very first time. So they have a great deal of nostalgia there. Um, there are several of our folks who just love filmmaking and they also love theater. And so there are a lot of parallels in our story to like the artist's journey, that that Sunday in the park with George kind of story. Um, and others were just simply moved by, by the story itself and how we told it. So there are any number of, of access points for that particular show and, and any show. You can find your way into it via the art, via nostalgia, via the investment opportunity. Um, the actual, actual mechanism for investing in a Broadway show, though, um, first things first is you must be an accredited investor. Um, an accredited investor is someone who is identified by the SEC as um, uh, having a certain 
threshold of income or net um, and or net worth. Um, I believe that the current threshold for an individual investor is two hundred thousand dollars a year in income for the last two years, and reasonable expectation to maintain that, um, or jointly with a partner or a spouse, um, $300,000 a year. A person could also be an accredited investor if they have a net worth of at least a million dollars outside of their primary residence. Again, this is these are rules established by the SEC. And the reason that um, we raise money from folks who are accredited um, or and the reason that I, I, you know, that the SEC identifies these folks is because there is an element of like you're expected at that threshold to be a savvy investor, you know, to be someone who understands um, the mechanism that you're investing into. But more importantly, you can afford to lose your money, um, especially in uh, an investment that's as risky as Broadway. So first things first is you have to be accredited there. If you are somebody who's listening to this and you are trying to raise money, I I don't want to indicate that there's like a list out there, you know, that the SEC publishes a list or that once you get, you know, an amazing raise at your job that you all of a sudden get an email being like, congratulations, you are an accredited investor. That's not quite how it works. Depending on the show, the um, the paperwork involved with signing on will ask you, are you an accredited investor? And if so, like in what way? Some shows, depending on what you know the comfort level of their attorneys will say like you actually have to demonstrate how you, you know you have to prove that you're an accredited investor others will just say are you accredited yes okay like you know i i can i certify that i'm accredited you know it's it's your word you will get many documents associated with investing in broadway the biggest of which is the operating agreement that lays out all the terms by which the company is going to be run a lot of it's 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 very it's legally very dense. A lot of legalese. A lot of it's boilerplate. It's the same for show to, from show to show. It discloses all of the deals that are already made. It discloses any conflicts of interest. How the company, like I said, is going to be operated. You know, even like voting decisions between the members. If there is one member that has more power, that is already signed by the general partners of the company. You as the um, investor will sign one page called the signature page. And that's like attached basically to the operating agreement. Then there's a subscription agreement. That's a little bit more of a form that you fill out. It's it's many pages long. And that's where you would certify that you're actually that, um, that accredited investor. You'll have some tax documents to fill out. It could be as simple as just a W-9. If you are uh, international, investor or um, a company, uh, an international company, then it may be a little bit more complicated for your tax documents. And then finally, the other big piece um, would just be for the co-producers, which is um, your co-producer side letter lays out the additional terms that you're privy to or the, uh, the additional um, benefits that, you're, that you will receive, such as your billing, your additional opening night seats, uh, meet, uh, meeting attendance, and, uh, and, and the like. And then once you wire that money, say goodbye to it. You don't have any say in the operating of the company. You don't get to call the, co the, the lead producer up and say, as an investor, you need to do X, Y, and Z. The producer does not have any obligation to take, um, to take your advice, though, though hearing advice and soliciting that advice is definitely a big part of what a producer does. They're actually under no obligation to take it. We've actually seen... In recent years, um, disgruntled investors, for one reason or another, 
have sued lead producers. And um, those operating agreements, the protections that they give to the lead producer, assuming, of course, that there's no fraud or, or malice or, you know, um, negligence or anything like that, assuming that they've, they've, they've operated the business well, it just might not, or they've operated the business ethically, it just may not have been a, a, a the way that the investor wanted. Those operating agreements are pretty ironclad, um, and they, they've been holding up in court. So um, just understand that if you are going, once that money's out of your bank account, the lead producer can pretty much do what they want with it, in, in a legal sense. <laughs> And I, f- I feel like that's pretty clear. I, I mean, me knowing nothing about investing, et cetera, et cetera. I figured, yeah, once your money is gone, I mean, anytime money leaves a bank account, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, even if you're investing in stocks or bonds or buying a car, like just everything. So, but here you're saying, if you disagree with that and you go to court, you're going to lose. <laughs> Well, I mean, unless you can prove that there was, you know, gross negligence, malfeasance or yeah, gross negligence or fraud or something, you know, those operating agreements, the operating agreements are made for everybody's benefit, you know, laying out how the company's going to be run and what to expect, but they protect the lead producers. Yeah. Um, You mentioned that in all your signing of the legal documents, the co-producer side letter or producer Mm -hmm. side letter, is that standard? Will everybody sign that or could somebody invest and not? sign that part of it. Yeah. So, um, uh, only, only people who are going to meet that co-producer threshold will sign that. So, um, a minimum investment, and I can't believe I didn't mention this already. Most shows have a minimum investment of 25 to $50,000. Um, that's a single unit in the entity. Um, then co-producer levels will start, let's say at the $250,000 threshold. And again, a co-producer could write $250,000 or they could get 10 people to write $25,000 and it can go up to, you know, millions of dollars, that co-producer level. Um, so only someone who has raised co- at, at those co-producer thresholds will get the co-producer side letter. Got it. Okay. And as those tiers, cause you say a co-producer could be from quarter of a million up to a million or more. And before you mentioned that investing wise, whether you put in uh, $25,000 or a quarter million thousand dollars, you're being treated the same way on return on equity. Mm-hmm. The co-producer levels, like from quarter million to a million, is there is is the deal there like they get a one for one versus a one for four type thing? Is that the differences? You don't see one for ones out after the one for ones tend to happen with that like really early money. So once we're raising for Broadway, you're not going to see typically a better deal than one for two or a one for three even. And then that can scale down to even even as low as like a one for eight on the very bottom rung of the co-producer level, one for six, one for five. Um, and and then again, yeah, scale, it goes up. So at the highest level, if you've like invested or caused to be invested a million dollars, you might see a one for three, for example. Um, you'll also get extra seats at opening night, you know, um, those sorts of things can scale. Other than that, you know, there's going to be some meetings that co-producers get invited to. In general, all co-producers are invited to them. Uh, there's going to be access to house seats. In general, all co-producers will have the, the same level of access, et cetera. Okay. So on an opening night when they don't sell tickets to the public and everybody says nobody can buy a ticket to opening, what I'm hearing is a quarter of a million could get you a ticket to opening. Oh, not only a ticket, but probably probably a couple pairs and pairs to the um, uh, pairs of party passes. All right. Noted. So if anybody wants to go to opening night of Bruce with me, I just need a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. I will see you there. 
do not underestimate how uh, the importance for some folks uh, getting those access to opening night. And it's just an exciting thing to do and see. Yeah, yeah. I think I've been to two Broadway openings and um, they've been exciting. That's all I'll say. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm not looking for loopholes here, but in my search for loopholes, I'm always interested because the accredited investor thing is definitely sort of a threshold that a lot of people aren't going to make. And specifically, so I'm a lighting designer. So a lot of my lighting design uh, peers and colleagues, we don't meet that threshold and therefore we can't invest in a Broadway show. So I'm in my search for loophole, I'm just curious, early on, like in Bruce in Seattle, let's say, is that accredited investor status still a requirement for the early on thing, even before the SEC gets involved for Broadway? Well, listen, there's going to be producers that absolutely will take on non-accredited investors early on. And there's even folk, there's even mechanisms, I understand, to create an entity. And there are certain shows and their attorneys are comfortable with that risk. The accreditation is, for all the downside of it and the questions about who actually has equity and who are the actual stakeholders you know the the reason it was built was to protect the investors and 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 to a lesser extent the producers themselves that if someone loses all of their money on something something that's as risky as this that they're not going to lose their house that they're not going to like be so financially devastated that they can't you know live their lives so uh, my risk appetite as someone who's receiving those investments is not um, is not something that really fluctuates. I'm very risk averse from that. I don't ever, as much as I believe in a show, I don't ever want somebody to stake their, their home on it or stake their quality of life on it. That said, there's an amazing organization called the Industry Standard Group that uh, was co-founded by several brilliant colleagues within the industry, but specifically uh, a dear friend of mine, Sammy Lopez, who's also a part of the business of Broadway. And they've been really inter interrogating what this accreditation, accreditation means, um, where the loopholes are, what the other rules are within the SEC's guidelines that they could possibly operate under. And they're, they've created a fund that can serve as an investment vehicle at much, much lower buy-in I won't get into the, the weeds about how that all works. I don't frankly understand it well enough to, um, but I will just um, uh, because it's, it's, it's actually like part of the vital mission of them. They are specifically looking to not only solicit those um, investments from people of color um, and historically marginalized communities, but also to fund projects that are by and for those same groups. So, um, but, if what they're doing works, and I have no doubt that it will, because they're um, they're the tip of the, they're the tip of the sphere here, um, it's going to be a model that hopefully can be replicated over and over again. Um, again, it's called the Industry Standard Group. I'm I'm floored by the work that they've done. I'm very excited to see how it works. So, um, apart from a producer that would take investment money that's maybe not kosher with the SEC or some the gray area, I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong. <laughs> but aside of that, so say you make a hundred thousand dollars a year and you want to put five thousand into it, if you don't have the twenty five thousand for an actual unit, a, a, apart from finding a producer that will let you do that, going through a group like the Industry Standard Group and working with their mission or something is is a way that somebody could do it without being accredited. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
I think that there are people much smarter than I who are out there continuing to um, interrogate the model um, and the mechanisms by which we're able to invest. My hat is off to them and I'm supporting them in every in every which way. Taking a break from the interview to mention our Patreon page. Now, the perks of being a patron are that you get a private podcast feed with all bonus materials and early releases of those episodes. This week, the Patreon bonus episode is about how Nicole and I earned a co-producer credit on Broadway's A Christmas Carol. That's the show that Heather was a lead producer on, which won five Tony Awards. Now, we explain how we got that opportunity, the process that it was, and how we feel about the show post-COVID. Hear that at patreon.com slash artistic finance. Now here's a patron related story by somebody who for technology reasons didn't want to join Patreon. And by the way, if you want to support us monthly without joining Patreon, you can always set up a recurring payment on Venmo, Cash App, PayPal, any account you use. I prefer Patreon because it's the way I can guarantee you the bonus materials. But Anyway, this person wanted to support the show without joining Patreon. So they reached out and they sent $500 to support Artistic Finance. They want to remain anonymous and I will respect that, but I did want to thank them publicly for their kindness. To that wonderful person, thank you. And something that is wildly wonderful about what they did is that it signifies that people are supporting our mission to improve the finances of freelancers, to provide a space and an answer to any financial question without anyone fearing shame, stigma, or guilt, and to get artists to invest for themselves and their future. If you want to lend your support, please sign up at patreon.com slash artistic finance. And now back to the show. So my last question about investing, which I feel like we've done, I feel like I know how to invest in a Broadway show at this moment. Um, but I'm just curious what the actual like process was, which you've sort of covered, but I just wonder if we can role play here and make sure I get all the steps. Sure. Let's use Bruce as an example. Hypothetically, let's say that I went and I saw Bruce in Seattle and I'm like, wow, this show is so good. I bet it's going to go to Broadway. I wonder if I can invest $25,000, one unit into this show. I call up Heather. Oh, hey, Heather, you're on Zoom with me. Um, could I invest in Bruce? Uh, what I would say is, why don't I send you the paperwork? Why, um, uh, or uh, in this exact moment, hey, we're finalizing our paperwork. As soon as it's ready, I will send it to you and you can let me know what you think or if you have any questions. I mean, it's, a lot of people don't realize that like access is not hard. You know, like it, this is a, this is an opportunity available to anyone so long as they meet those accreditation standards. There are very few producers out there who wouldn't welcome someone that they haven't worked with before or who wouldn't welcome somebody who's never invested before. So, um, yeah, my answer, if you were like, I have $25,000 with Bruce's name on it, <laughs> I'd be like, <laughs> give me, give me like another week or two. We're still finalizing our paperwork and, um, uh, I'll, I'll get it in your inbox. And then hopefully I would follow up with you, you know, a week later, or you'd come to me and say, great, I'm going to double it. I'm going to go 50,000 <laughs> and I've got two friends that are going to, uh, put in a hundred each. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So say, so you get me the paperwork and I look at it. It's the operating agreement, maybe the recruitment schedule, that sort of thing. Yeah. The operating agreement and the back of the operating agreement will have the production budget, the weekly operating budget and the recruitment schedule. Okay. So I look at the recruitment schedule. I see the break even point is at 40% 
attendance. Forty <laughs> percent gross potential. I'm gonna I'm gonna just clarify there. Capacity doesn't tell the whole story. Ticket prices doesn't tell the whole story. Our gross potential is uh, an average of those two things. So the break even for Bruce, if we're going to say it's 40%, I love that, is 40% of the gross potential, not just attendance. Okay. So I see 40% gross potential break even. Amazing deal there. Awesome. Amazing, amazingly budgeted. (laughs) I say, I email Heather. I say, hey, I'd like to put in that $25,000. So then what? Well, another document that you received was the subscription agreement. So then you're going to fill that out with all your information. You're going to have, there's there's going to be like a single page instructions as well that'll come with all of that. And it's going to say, here are all the documents you've gotten. These are the pages you need to fill out. Talk to your accountant if you're confused about which tax documents you need. And um, here's the wiring info. Wow. Okay. So that came all with just all the information. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And what did you call that subscriber agreement? Subscription agreement. Subscription agreement. Okay. So I fill out the subscription agreement and all the, blah, blah, blah. here's the wiring. I send the paperwork back to you. Yes. Either, either digitally or in, um, or I pick it up from you or you mail it to, to me. And, um, then you can either wire it or there, there'll be information about where the check gets delivered. Usually the general manager's office, but it's actually like, the actual burden of filling out the paperwork and, and getting the money to us is um, us being producers of whether Bruce or whatever is not very complicated. So I send off the paperwork signed. I wire the money. You say, we got your money. We're all good. And then I just wait for opening night. Yeah. I mean, a good producer or most producers aim to have as much communication as possible with their investors. Hey, it's, we're uh, uh, going into rehearsals. Here's some. Here's a press release, or here's uh, some pictures of behind the scenes. Here's a press release. I hope you're saving the date about opening night. Um, we'll be in touch with the official invite for that. Um, you know, you try to have as much offer as much communication as possible. It's a part of the job. Okay, and since I only put in twenty five thousand dollars or one unit, I don't necessarily get tickets to opening. Most shows you'll get a pair. Most, uh, I would say most shows you'll get a pair at 25000 So I attend opening and then two months later, now I'm not manifesting anything about Bruce here. Just to be clear, yeah. it's the yeah. example. I'm not it's manifesting here. Let's say I two am. months in, <laughs> it, it closes mm-hmm. and oh, it, has negative, it has negative uh, income here. Let's just example. So then what happens? Do I get any paperwork that says... So we closed the show and there wasn't a profit. Sorry. Yeah, great question. Um, so all investors of a Broadway show will always get a K-1 as their tax document. Um, one thing, I'm, I'm glad I have this opportunity to mention this for all the potential investors out there. There are only really two accounting firms that do all Broadway shows and all like previous Broadway shows, things that have closed but still have ongoing income and expenses coming in and out. So do not expect that K-1 document by April 15th. <laughs> people start reaching out to me in February usually. Luckily, most people who are at the capacity to invest in a Broadway show are, are filing extensions anyway, so it's not that big of a deal. But especially for shows that have closed a while ago, but still have ongoing income and expenses, um, they're kind of lower in ranking with those two account with you know the accounting firms. And so it can take sometimes till June or July to get those um, K ones distributed, but the K one will reflect what you personally, as an investor, 
need to report for either income or loss. And, you know, it was interesting. I, I had a little bit of a tingle in the back of my brain that I should I should be cynical and mention this. And I'm going to now that I have the opportunity. I talked about how if you're going to invest in Broadway, it better be because you believe in the art. And that remains true. Um, and I said how if you're investing in Broadway because you're expecting profit, you're going to you will be disappointed. Um, and that remains true. But if you are interested in, in investing in Broadway because like, hey, there might be some profit, but also I might be able I might I could probably use a loss that happens. That, that happens. There are people who invest fully expecting a loss and a loss for certain folks of a certain level. And again, not an accountant. A loss isn't always the worst thing on 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 their in their books. Even though I've seen the show Producers, and you think I would have thought of this, I never really thought that anybody would invest in a Broadway show to get a loss or at least open to the loss. Listeners, if you're listening and you've ever put money into a Broadway show thinking, oh, I can always write this off, please email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com because I'm just curious if that's something that anybody has done. Now you've said it, I'm sure they have. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or even if it wasn't like to get the loss, it was like, and if it loses everything, my accountant will not be too upset. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Interesting, Heather. Um, okay. So the show is two months in. We've learned how to deal with our K-1 if there's a loss. Okay. So say we're two months into Bruce and it's 50% recouped. So then what happens? I get a check for 50% of the money I put in? You'll probably quarterly, it, you said we're six months in. So like in that case, then you probably got um, a 25% capital distribution and then another 25%. It depends. I mean, if income is coming in that quickly on Bruce, which yes, of course it will be. Um, uh, we might've sent it all at once, 50, 50 whole percent. But um, I don't know if I've ever actually heard of a, a 50% distribution. Um, it's usually in the uh, five to 25%. Okay. All right. So then final example here, say Bruce opens Broadway 2023 uh, is a raving success is the Hamilton of 2023. And we're making 200. So we've reached recoupment. And now we've 100% profit on top of that. Do I just get a giant check? Yeah, well, you'll again, uh, quarter, like quarterly at most, I would say you're going to get those checks. But yeah, you'll just regularly be, be receiving the, the money mailbox money, like we said. Okay. All right. Well, it sounds very appealing. <laughs> okay. Uh, Heather, I feel like we did a great job um, covering this whole topic. I feel very confident. I feel I know a lot more than I did before we talked. Is there anything you wanted to address or talk about that we we maybe didn't talk about? Uh, I mean, this was really great. I, I so enjoyed our conversation. You ask really wonderful questions and I appreciate the invite. Um, one of the reasons that I started business. Oh, yes, this is I, this actually addresses the way you introduced me, and which was a lovely introduction. The business of Broadway was actually created to demystify the business for the people working in the business already, who maybe identified first and foremost as wearing that creative hat, you know, and they didn't really understand that why decisions that impacted their day to day were being made, that they couldn't like zoom out and see the entire the entire industry, the entire ecosystem, you know, it, it was born of a, uh, frankly, a frustration that I was, ha I was having, uh, uh, you know, I won't speak for my co-founders, but for me, there was a frustration. I was having this frustration of um, seeing folks who identify, like I said, first and foremost as creatives, 
um, have very strong opinions about the business matters of how they thought a show should be run. And I was like, well, you just don't, but that is a reflection on how little you know about how the business runs. And then it was like a light bulb of like, well, of course you don't know how the business side of, of theater making works. You've never been taught. And if you have, it's been incredibly dense. And so my, so Erica Razzi and Rachel Sussman and I, along with a woman named Dana Lerner, who's um, since moved on, started this company to be like, to not only identify and target the theater makers of our industry, but how, figure out how to explain it in a way that would make sense, would be digestible and respectful of their of their time. Like, how can you learn about all of this if you don't have a background in finance, don't have a background in, in intellectual property law and, and still feel like you have a greater understanding about all of the elements at play here. And we've been really, really grateful to see that we've we've somehow uh, uh, accumulated an audience of folks who do wanna get into producing, who do wanna be general managers or company managers. And the fact remains that we started the company not to train new producers. And it's just because there are other people out there who are doing that work. We started the company to be able to have conversations access points to people who want to understand it and yet don't want to dig through an operating agreement, for example. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I suspect that your listeners tend to be um, much more financially savvy um, folks, but if all of this feels... Um, it's like still overwhelming and a lot that was almost by design. You know, th this industry was siloed. This industry was incredibly opaque for a long time and remains so. And I'm grateful for my colleagues at the business of Broadway, along with colleagues from many and many other places and touch points within the industry who are working to have more financial transparency, to have more just transparency in general about the business. And so there are people like us out there doing this work to try to make the business side of all of this as accessible and clear as possible. So check us out, check out people like the Industry Standard Group, check out um, the Producers Hub. Um, they're uh, an, an organization as well that's doing this work. And um, we're just super grateful to have like-minded colleagues within this industry who are doing the work day to day. Yeah. And I love what you're doing. And I appreciate you being here to explain it all um, because it is detailed. It is complex, but also in a way it, it's not. And it, once you know the information or you know some of it, you can build on that and grow more because it doesn't keep changing show to show. It's sort of like a standard process, you know, and if you if you know what recoupment schedule is, then you know it for everything. And I'm a lighting designer, and one of my frustrations is there are some lighting designers who are producers, but aforementioned, you mentioned like sort of being independently wealthy or, you know, getting some avenue into it um, that wasn't from lighting or wasn't, you know, taking that further. And so I appreciate people like me who don't have that arts administration background aren't the numbers people um, having people like you that can explain this all to us. And uh, so thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Um, okay, two more questions. One is just for fun. I heard it on a different show. And so I ask it, which is, is there a question that you want to ask me? I'm really impressed with the podcast, with the pod. Um, and I haven't had a chance, obviously, to listen to everything. Um, uh, what was, what's your favorite, what's the, your favorite, one of your favorite interviews that you've done? Or what's one of the things that you've learned from doing these kinds of having these kinds of conversations that you feel like maybe other people should know? Okay, so 
This might surprise people, but my favorite episode, my favorite interview was episode 40. It was with a painter called Destiny Powell. Her artwork is incredible. But what I took away from the conversation was like how calm, cool, collected she is, how nonchalant. And then she threw out this little thing about uh, your income and how she doesn't want to write off all her expenses because maybe to be an accredited investor, she doesn't want her income to drop. So she actually wants it to see that she's making lots of money, et cetera, stuff like that. I thought that was just interesting that you don't always want to write everything off. But what I loved is that she's very artistic, but she doesn't shy away from the money. She doesn't shy away from the numbers or the finance, and it doesn't embarrass her. It doesn't make her awkward, anything like that. So that was one of my favorite episodes, just because she is so creative and yet so good with money and numbers and just not afraid of it. Well, that's great. Okay, last question then. What are you, what else are you working on? Oh, excellent question. <laughs> And you caught me at a busy week, so my brain is fried. So I'll just list this all out. Um, okay, so this upcoming week, I'm going to be a lighting director at Bloomberg Television. Oh, um, cool. Then I'm also lighting a show called Pippin. <laughs> a show called Pippin. I'm lighting Pippin the Musical out for uh, Nathan Brewer's the director. Out at, Never uh, heard in, of it. <laughs> instant- <laughs> I know it's like, it's funny, we're doing it. And then I see like, it's being done 10 people. So I don't know if it's having a resurgence right now. But literally every state has like 10 versions going on right now. Oh, I wonder if there was a, something new with the licensing or something, maybe, maybe that um, it hadn't been as, as available in certain areas as before. Yeah, maybe that. So okay, then week after that, I'm going to uh, the Forestburg Playhouse, which is a summer stock in uh, up near Monticello, New York, going to be lighting something rotten. Then I'm going to come back and over at Here Arts Center, I'm going to be lighting The Choice, which is, let's just say, a show about abortion. But it's very funny. It's like very, very funny. And it was written before all this recent thing. Unfortunately, this has been a a topic that's been relevant for entirely too long. Yeah. Which, side note, the episode I did last week with Marsha Stern, who's a lighting designer who, let's just say, is older than me. I cut it out of the episode, but we had a little random chat because she's like, that is something I fought for 50 years ago. And it is really disappointing to see that happen. So relevant for 50 years. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then producing wise, I have nothing going on um, (laughs) except for I'm talking with somebody, um, a West End sort of person. They're opening like a venue in the old Planet Hollywood location in the West End. It's called Wonderville. It's sort of like a magic, not burlesque, uh, magic and stuff like that um, venue. And so they're going to install a show there for two months, but then they have the venue rented for two years. So it's sort of a weird, it's not really a show. It's more like a venue investment. And then they have high hopes for spreading it out across the world. And then there's a producer that name everybody would know randomly emailed me because I'm on their email list and they said, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it's, it's Broadway's Christmas vacation or National Lampoon's Broadway vacation. Sure. Yeah. I haven't committed one way or the other, but those, those are my two Broadway vacation and then Wonderville. So that's everything I have. That's what I have in my brain right now. That's a lot of fun. I, uh, I've seen a couple of iterations of Broadway vacation. And um, of course the director of Bruce is the director of that as well. Donna Fuhrer. Oh, nice. Wait, who did the lighting out in, at, for Bruce then? Jeff Kreuter. Okay, because he's the same for vacation. Uh, there's a little bit of overlap with uh, the creative team. Got it. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Amazing. Um, all right, so final question for you, which is 
where can people connect with you and who do you want connecting with you? Oh, um, great question. Um, you know, I'm on, uh, most of the socials, um, Heather E. Shields. Um, uh, you can check out the business of Broadway, um, or tomsmeads.com. Both, um, uh, both of those have access point, you know, forms that you can fill out to reach out to me and, you know, if you're interested in hearing more about Bruce, head over to tomsmeads.com. If you're interested in more about Business of Broadway, head over there. Really grateful for this opportunity. And um, I hope that this provided information of interest. <laughs> Sorry, it's the best I could come up with. I, I, I guarantee it did because um, I learned a lot. So I know that if I'm learning a lot, then, and again, my listeners often are very good with numbers and much smarter and more business savvy than me. So maybe they knew some of this, but I definitely learned a ton. And I know everybody else listening is like fascinated by this. Great. Well, I'm, I'm glad. Thank you. Um, and I want to say we talked a lot about Bruce just as a talking point, but I know you have a ton else going on. But to, Bruce, it, Bruce is a good is a good one to start with. It's been a very it's been such an amazing labor of love um, as anything will be at this stage in development. It's been a, a very important time in its in its life cycle. So um, I, it was a good example to use. Amazing. All right, Heather, thank you so much. Thank you. That was it for this week's interview with Heather Shields. My takeaways were the industry standard group and the producers hub are working to find ways for producing work without the accredited investor hurdle. That's been one of my frustrations is that non-accredited folks can produce small things independently, but that's not a way for them to build residual income. And while we might be able to put $5,000 into the stock market or giant companies, we aren't able to put money into a show, which is in the industry that we know the most about. I understand the purpose of the laws and appreciate them, but I'd just love it if show people could be allowed to essentially buy stock in their own companies. How to access opportunities to invest. Now, it really is as simple as being accredited and calling up a producer. Now, shows are seeking investors long before we see them publicly, but if you happen to follow the commercial theater news about what shows are coming to Broadway, you can look up those producers and send them an email or give them a call, or you can find somebody to make an introduction for you. And if you can't get a hold of their office, just look at the credits of a previous show they've worked on and contact the co-producers who likely have a relationship with them. And of course, you can always email me because part of the mission of artistic finance is to answer any financial question. If I don't know the answer or know the person, I'll find somebody who does. Heather said measuring revenue by gross potential is the best way to look at it. Now, I'll remember that the next time I'm looking at Broadway grosses. So while The Lion King may sell $500,000 worth of tickets for the week, if the gross potential was a million dollars, then they aren't living up to their potential. And for a show that hasn't recouped yet, that can certainly be frustrating and obviously could lead to them closing the show. My final takeaways are the obvious ones that a minimum investing unit for a Broadway show is usually twenty-five dollars to $50,000, and that everybody must be accredited. And the fact that all investors must file extensions because the accountants don't get to completing the K-1s until April 15th or later. Now, I can speak to that minimum investing unit a little bit, but... For more about that and for some K-1 adventures, listen to our Patreon bonus episode. 
Nicole and I have one co-producing credit to our name, and that is for that show that Heather was lead producer on, Broadway's A Christmas Carol. Touring this winter. Get your tickets at achristmascarolbroadway.com. <laughs> anyway, we had some backroom handshakes and some minimum investment unit modifications along that journey. Find the bonus episode to hear how we were able to get that credit with me being a lighting designer and Nicole being an arts appreciator, but not an arts worker. Patrons also get access to a private podcast feed, and that includes all previous outtakes, and you'll also get the early releases of episodes. In addition to that, you are supporting 30 other artists and arts organizations that we send monthly contributions to. 25% of our Patreon income goes to support the entertainment community, and we've baked that into artistic finance from day one. So thank you for letting us do that. To lend your support, sign up at patreon.com slash artistic finance. What are your thoughts about today's episode? Did you learn anything? Let me know by emailing me directly at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you aren't ready to support artistic finance financially, I totally understand. But if you want to still help us out, there are two things you can do. One, Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to move us higher in the rankings and help others find the show. The second thing you can do is to pay our fee for listening. And that fee is to tell somebody about the show. And if you do it peer-to-peer, share an episode and tell them why you liked it. And if you share it on social media, please tag Artistic Finance or me, Ethan Steimel. It would absolutely make my day to get a shout-out. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.